Well, imagine for a moment an initiative to keep Minneapolis parks completely free of trash and other forms of litter. In order to achieve this goal, a zero-tolerance policy is created that places a lifetime ban on anyone caught littering in public. But what if, on a scorching hot summer day, a child goes to the ice cream truck, they get their ice cream, and it's melting so fast, and they drop it, and it spills and stains the pavement. Under the strictest letter of this law, they're in violation. So, does the banning of this child from this park truly align with the policy's intended spirit? This scenario, while seemingly trivial, reflects a complex uh, reality in the dissonance between the letter and the spirit of the law. And in our text for this morning, Luke chapter 6, we encounter Jesus navigating a similar tension. The religious leaders are fixated on the letter of the Sabbath law, and they accuse Jesus and his disciples of breaking this law. Yet Jesus invites us to consider the underlying purpose, the spirit behind this. And he challenges us to move beyond a legalistic interpretation and prioritize the principles that these laws represent. Compassion, understanding, and ultimately serving humanity's best. So today, as we dive into this message, let's ponder a couple of questions. Have you ever encountered a situation where the rigid application of a rule has caused injustice or undermined the purpose of why the rule was created? And second, how can we, inspired by Jesus' approach, navigate these complexities and strive to uphold the spirit of the law, ensuring it continues to serve the greater good? Now, before we dive into this pivotal scene of of Jesus and the Sabbath in Luke 6, let's rewind a little bit and understand the dynamic that's unfolding here in Luke's narrative. Imagine yourself amidst the bustling crowds, witnessing events that will forever change the course of history. Chapter 5 of Luke marks a turning point. We see in this chapter Jesus handpicks his 12 disciples, not just an ordinary group, that are all struck by his miracles and teachings. It's a group that he entrusts with a life-altering mission, calling them with spreading the message of hope and transformation. From there, Jesus' ministry begins to explode in popularity. He's calmed the raging storm. He's miraculously healing uh, the paralyzed. Jesus demonstrates not only divine power, but also divine compassion. He challenges the status quo, offering hope to the ostracized and the marginalized. And this contrasts sharply with the legalistic approach of the Pharisees, whose focus often falls on upholding the rigid religious rules. And so tensions begin to simmer with the religious elite. The Pharisees, threatened by Jesus' growing influence in his disregard for certain traditions, begin to criticize his actions. They question his association with sinners like tax collectors and view his disregard for Sabbath tradition as blasphemy. 
Their motivations are complex, potentially stemming from a desire to protect their own authority or a fear of the changes that Jesus represents. Now in this charged atmosphere, we enter the scene of Luke 6, verses 1 through 11. The stage is set for a clash between rigid rules and radical compassion, offering a glimpse into the true meaning of the Sabbath and the revolutionary nature of Jesus' message. As we dive deeper, remember the context, as outlined above. It adds depth and understanding to the actions and reactions of Jesus and the Pharisees, ultimately revealing the heart of Jesus' teaching and their enduring impact on our lives today. In this passage, Luke tells us about two separate interactions between a group of Pharisees and Jesus concerning the topic of proper Sabbath practice. And so before we look specifically at what's going on here in this text, I want to first come to a basic understanding of what Sabbath is. Very, very simply put, the Sabbath is a time where work ceases and we rest. The late Tim Keller, who spent many years pastoring a church in New York City in, in describing the Sabbath, looked back at two major moments in the Old Testament. The creation account, as read in Genesis, and the giving of the Ten Commandments. The idea of Sabbath is first established within the context of creation. After six days of creating the universe, we're told that God rests on the seventh day. Sabbath means to cease from work. On the seventh day of creation, God stops creating, and so Sabbath means a real change. The cessation of normal activity for either a different activity or a relative inactivity. But it's not just a passive form of resting from work. Sabbath also means to enjoy the results God did not only cease working, but the text tells us that God finished his work. And so we don't just stop our work to simply pick it up and move on. Being satisfied, part of the Sabbath and ceasing from our work is to be satisfied with what we've done as sufficient. And also to consider some things as complete and then moving on. So Sabbath is not simply inactivity. Instead of producing, it is a time for us to enjoy what we do. The model of God's rest from work became a requirement for humanity with the giving of the Ten Commandments. It was the fourth commandment that was given by God to Moses. Uh, we most often associate the giving of the Ten Commandments to uh, the Exodus again. But in Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments are once again laid out. And in this particular instance, God ties the Sabbath to the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. Um, Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15 says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outcome. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. God establishes the Sabbath day as a reenactment of the Israelites' freedom from the bondage of slavery. It's a reminder of the deliverance that only God can And so part of remembering Sabbath is to reenact the story of salvation. This concept of Sabbath really informs a lot of what we do here as a people in these gathered times of worship together on Sunday morning. 
where we retell the story. Having now a more baseline understanding of what Sabbath is, let's look at this first account in Luke 6, verses 1 through 5, where we'll find that Jesus claims authority over the One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat them. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Imagine walking through a field, hunger gnawing at your stomach. It's the Sabbath, it's a day of rest, but instinct and hunger drives you to pluck a few grains to satisfy your basic needs. Suddenly, you're accused of breaking the law and ostracized for the seemingly harmless act. This was the reality that Jesus and the disciples faced. Now, you might think the Pharisees have taken issue with the fact that Jesus and disciples are picking and eating grain from some random person's field. But the law actually allows people to do this very thing. You don't have to turn there, but in Deuteronomy 23, we're told that if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you, not, you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. In other words, they were more than welcome to pick the grain and eat them so long as they weren't using tools to harvest and stealing massive amounts of grain and taking it home with them. This was a provision in the law that was meant to serve as an opportunity for the widows, the orphans, and the poor and the hungry to have nourishment. And so this is important. It was permissible to break this law in order to preserve life. What the Pharisees had a problem with was the physical act of picking and rubbing the chaff off of the grain so that the disciples could see. They were classifying that sort of effort as work and therefore disobedient to God and forbidden to You can tell the Pharisees took the Sabbath very seriously. So seriously, in fact, that they had taken on the role of interpreting the law. They wanted to make sure that people were being obedient to God. And to ensure that this was the case, they started to add what we would call fences around the law. They created laws that were stricter than what God actually demanded, so that even if their fence laws were broken, God's law wouldn't be. Now, you might say the intention behind the law is initially good. But the Pharisees were hypocritical and had fallen into a works-based understanding of salvation, missing the actual heart of the law. Jesus doesn't address the Pharisees' claim that he is doing work, but rather speaks into the heart of the issue at hand. Let's look at how he responds to them, looking back up in verses 3 through 5. Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the The Pharisees, meticulous upholders of religious law, saw the disciples act as a blatant Sabbath violation. They say, isn't it against the rules to do such work on this holy day? The rigid understanding of the Sabbath emphasized strict adherence to regulations, often overlooking the spirit behind them. 
But we see Jesus counter this legalism with a story that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Jesus reminds the Pharisees that David, fleeing for his life, enters the temple hungry and desperate and breaks yet another rule by eating the bread that is reserved only for priests. Yet instead of condemnation, David receives compassion, blessing, and the food from Ahimelech, who is the priest in this Well, Sabbath is not explicitly mentioned in this particular account with David. The point that Jesus is making is that David did something that would be considered not lawful by eating this bread. The scriptures that the Pharisees profess to rely on, what they used to make their case against Jesus, didn't condemn David for this. And so how much more should Jesus, the Son of Man, be allowed to feed his disciples? free of condemnation, because he, in fact, is greater than David. And so in this, Jesus is pointing out two things. First, he's pointing out that human need is of greater importance than Sabbath. And then in verse 5, Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this might not sound much like a significant thing. But this is a claim that sets into motion the Pharisees' desire to have Jesus The title, Son of Man, is a messianic title that Jesus often uses for himself. But now Jesus is not just continuing to refer to himself as this messianic figure. He is also claiming to have authority over something that only God can have authority over. And so to claim to be the Lord of the Sabbath Jesus is essentially making a public claim to be God. In this first interaction, Jesus has claimed authority. But this isn't simply a claim of power over the law. It's a redefinition of the The Sabbath, Jesus affirms, is a gift of rest and restoration, a day for tending to the needs of others and ourselves guided by love and compassion. Having now claimed authority, our story continues with Jesus actively demonstrating that authority. Our story continues, verses 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on his head. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everybody. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on this head? To do good or to do evil? To save life or destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another the night. So imagine the hushed reverence of the synagogue. Sunlight filtering through stained glass, whispers of prayer, and suddenly the scene shifts. A man burdened with a withered hand, uh, stands out amongst the crowd. His suffering is palatable 
Yet the whispers shift not to comfort or concern, but to judgment. The Pharisees, guardians of the religious law, fixate on its technicality. Is Jesus permitted to heal on the Sabbath? Their focus, once again, remains on the rule, not the man's It's interesting that in verse 7, Luke tells us that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. It's the Sabbath. It's a day of rest, a day of worship. And rather than being at the synagogue for the purposes of worship, Pharisees and teachers of the law are there watching and waiting to catch Jesus in the act of breaking the Sabbath. The ironic thing here is you might argue that the Pharisees are actually working harder than anybody in that room. At least. But Jesus sees through their facade. He exposes their hypocrisy with a simple question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or destroy life? Their lack of a response is volume. Their rigid interpretation prioritizes inaction over compassion, leaving suffering unaddressed. This is not the Sabbath. With gentle defiance, Jesus directs his gaze at the man, says, Stand up and come forward. The man obeys. Then the question that pierces through that legalism, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? The Pharisees remain silent, their legal arguments shattered by the weight of the And Jesus asks, stretch out your hand. As the man extends his withered limb, anticipation fills the air. Jesus hears. The one shriveled hand is restored, whole and functional. The healing is more than a physical restoration. It's a public declaration, a redefinition of the Sabbath's meaning. It's not about rigid rules and inaction, but about active compassion, about alleviating suffering and bringing hope. Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath demonstrates that God's desire is not legalistic adherence, but mercy. In this second Sabbath controversy, Jesus is demonstrating his authority as Lord of the Sabbath. What is permissible on the Sabbath is not combined, confined to a list of rules, but rather Jesus is showing by his actions that he has the authority. And for Jesus, the Sabbath is about mercy and restoration. And really, in both of these instances, Jesus is posing the question, what should come first on the Sabbath? Adhering to a set of rules or meeting the needs of Which is law? To do good or to do evil? To save life or destroy? Well, these seem like pretty extreme holes. But were Jesus to sit there and watch that man stay withered, 
Would that be giving life? Would that be destroying life? Friends, we've seen in this text how challenging, rigid interpretations of the Sabbath, or Jesus challenges the rigid interpretations of the Sabbath, and has redefined it as a day of compassion, service, and feedback. Jesus calls us to move beyond legalism and embrace a life guided by love and the needs of others. And so as a way of thinking practically, Jesus invites us to consider and as needed, shift our priorities. To rethink our relationship with rules and regulations. Do they empower love and good deeds? Or are they becoming burdens that hinder connection, that hinder service, that keep us from acts of mercy? I think if we all were to do this, it would lead to some uncomfortable moments and challenging conversations. I'm not suggesting that we have complete disregard for rules and regulations, but rather, take the moment to pause and seriously consider if the outcomes of said regulation match the intention or the spirit behind it. Because if they don't, we may need to We're also invited to embrace Sabbath and To view the Sabbath or our personal rest periods not just as inactivity, but as opportunities for rejuvenation, reflection, and serving others. Practice mindful moments throughout your week, whether through prayer, meditation, or simply connecting with those We're invited to seek opportunities to serve. Don't wait for grand gestures or high-profile opportunities. Look around your community, your neighborhood, your places of work. Be mindful of those who are in need. Offer your time, your skills, your resources to alleviate suffering and bring hope. Remembering that even small acts of kindness can have a profound life. He invites us to challenge injustice. This is a call to not be a bystander in justice. Speak up for those who are marginalized or voiceless, be an advocate for pain, and actively seek to be a bystander, not to give life. Finally, we're called to live authentically. We claim to be followers of Jesus. Our actions should bear that fruit. Our actions should be guided by love and compassion, not by external pressure or external Mighty God, we ask that you would help us to truly understand the message of Jesus and to live it out in our daily pray that you would grant us the courage to challenge legalism, to embrace compassion, 
actively serve others.